Hey guys, my name is Pastor Ron. So glad that you tuned in to the podcast of Allentown Fellowship Church. Each week we're going to endeavor just to walk through the Bible book by book and then give you some truths that you can apply to your life. So welcome to the AFC podcast. Trust and pray that God's word today will be a blessing to you. All right, let's turn over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 12 to 22 today. Mark 11, 12 to 22. A couple things to keep in mind as we look at this passage, the way Mark has put the events, he has the, the cursing of the fig tree, Jesus curses his fig tree, then he goes into the temple, and then... Um, the disciples realized, wow, the tree withered and died, right? And so you have, to, you have to keep a couple things in mind here that you have to look at the cursing of the fig tree in conjunction with the cleansing of the temple incident. Jesus is going to be using this cursing of the fig tree as a, an object lesson, if you will, okay? So you, you have to keep that in mind as, as we go through the passage. What is Jesus ultimately going? He's going after hypocrisy. He's going after hypocrisy. And hopefully this, this will be clearer as we unpack this. But keep those two things in mind as we go through this passage. Again, Jesus Christ is in his last week of ministry before he's going to get arrested, the trial, the crucifixion. He's been telling the disciples I must go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be handed over, and I'm going to die. Remember, they, they just, they don't get it. They, they still have their minds on a political kingdom being set up now, and they were going to rule and reign with him, right? Our last time we were looking at some of this, he came marching in or riding in on a donkey, which, again, it's kind of like, okay, here's our new king, so in their mind, you know, these disciples keep going back and forth like, okay, so he is going to actually take over. I mean, he's riding in on a donkey. It's like, yeah, this is, this is what like a king does. But then they're going to find out he's going to end up getting arrested and crucified. So they're still struggling with the timing of what Jesus is going to do as far as setting up a new kingdom. So he's headed to Jerusalem. It's the time of the Passover, and the Passover, again, they celebrated the Passover to remember when Jesus, Jehovah, brought them out of Egypt, right? And the death angel passed over them, and they were to put blood on the doorposts of their houses. You look at some of that stuff in the Old Testament, and you say, man, that's archaic. What? That's a little barbaric. What is that all about? You have to remember, when you look at the Old Testament, it's pointing to Jesus. So as they put blood over the doorposts and the angel of death was going to pass over those houses that had the blood, now we come 2,000 years later and the wrath of God passes over you because of the blood of Christ. Beautiful picture. So the Passover was celebrated by the Jews in memory of the exodus from Egypt. This is what's going on now. This is the time of the Passover. So there are thousands of people coming to the temple to offer 
the sacrifices and to get their animals that they need to sacrifice for the Passover. All right. So let's ask God to open up our eyes as we look at these verses. Father, I pray today as we study your word together, Father, um, open up our hearts, our minds to accurately understand what you are saying through these passages. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's start at verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. You say, okay, what's going on here, right? And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Okay, what's Jesus' issue with the fig tree? <laughs> it's, a, it's a fig tree. It's not a moral being, it's a fig tree, it's a plant. Well, that's one clue that this is Jesus using an inanimate object to make a spiritual point. It's not about the fig tree, okay? And his disciples heard it. So let's back up. Here Jesus is, he's traveling, and he sees foliage or leaves on this fig tree. That's cut off there a little bit. I'm not sure what happened there. That's weird, Leah. Okay. I don't know. Um, he sees foliage, this plant, fig plant. And what's significant here is that figs were to be expected. The leaves are there. The foliage is there. And notice, notice it says he saw this fig tree at a distance in leaf. Foliage was there. He went to see if he could find anything on it, but he comes and he finds nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In other words, the time for the figs had not arrived yet. Here's what you have to remember, though. The fact that there were leaves on there, there should have been figs on the tree. There should have been fruit on the tree. Even if it, if, if, it, if, it, if it was not the full-blown fig, the, the buds, right? The, 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 the little beginnings of figs should have been on the tree, which many people would eat, and that could sustain you. All right, now this is important. Follow this. So he's hungry. There's a tree. He sees all the leaves. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's, there's, there's figs over there. He goes over there and there's no figs. And so then Jesus is going to end up cursing this tree and says what? You will produce no figs. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, do you think Jesus really had an issue with this fig tree? <laughs> no. He's dealing with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the temple order, and everything that is going on in the temple, all right? What, what is this issue? Well, Jesus, as a prophet, he's going to use the fig tree as an object lesson. 
So who or what does the fig tree represent? It's going to represent the Pharisees and the religious leaders who, watch this, this is important, had an appearance of righteousness. An appearance of righteousness, but no spiritual fruit. Just like the fig tree. It had an appearance as if it had figs on it. And when Jesus walks up to it, no figs. And he uses this fig tree as an example of what is going on in this Judaism, this temple worship, and all that he's about to walk into in the temple. You got to connect the fig tree with what is about to happen now. Jesus is using it as an example. Remember, Jesus is a prophet. And if you go back in the Old Testament, oftentimes you will see prophets even speaking of the fig tree in reference to Israel, speaking of God's judgment, but calling Israel a fig tree. Well, Jesus, in the same vein as a prophet, is doing the same thing, using this fig tree as an example of Israel, the religious order, the religious system. And basically, he's going to call out the system and say, this is hypocrisy. What you're doing is not approved by God. You're hypocrites. How many times did he call the Pharisees hypocrites? How many times did he call out the religious leaders and say, you are hypocrites. You're putting so much weight on people to make yourself look like you're more righteous. So he says to this fig tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard it. 15. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. Now, what's going on? Remember, we said it's Passover time. There's thousands of people here. Jesus comes in. He wasn't looking to reform temple worship, he was looking to shut it down. He was looking to shut it down. What's going on right here in this temple? This is absolutely not what God intended. Later on in Mark 13, 2, we're going to see where he predicts the destruction of the temple. Here he is in the temple kind of giving a precursor. What he just pronounced on that fig tree is what he pronounced on this temple. And you got to understand this. Sometimes, you know, I, I should have done this, but I didn't. Uh, to, to see a picture of what this temple looked like. This is no little measly temple. This is far removed from the Old Testament days when they had a tabernacle that they would pitch up like a tent and break down and then pitch up and went from a tabernacle to Solomon's temple to Herod's great temple. This temple is huge. Which is why when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Right? And he was referring to his body in that context. But then in 13, he's going to talk about this temple being destroyed. Which we know was historically in AD 70. There's a lot going on here in this passage. So he walks in, 15, he's driving out these people who are selling these animals People who are buying them, he's getting them all out, and he overturned the tables of the money changers. 
Now again, remember what's going on. It's Passover. So you got money changers sitting there because you got thousands of people coming from all over the place. And just like, you know, when I go to Africa, you know, Will and I went, we had to change our American money into CFAs, right? So these people coming in had to exchange their money, money exchangers, right? I need to buy this animal for my sacrifice. It's the, it's the Passover. So the currency had to be exchanged. Well, there's an opportunity for people to extort people <laughs> and to cheat them, right? So he takes the money changers that are sitting there, he turns the tables over, and the seats of those who sow pensions. Did I say that word right? Good. All of those that, now, now, see, if you could picture this, all of this is happening. All of this is happening on, in, inside the temple, but it's happening in an area of the temple that's outside the main area where the priests would go, and it's called the court of the Gentiles. It was the perimeter of the temple. So if you can picture a football field, okay? Picture a football field and where everybody stands on the sidelines. Picture that. But picture like five football fields. See how big this thing is? And on the perimeter, on the sidelines, there's all types of animals being sold and money changers exchanging money, everybody buying all their stuff. That is not what the outer court was for. Now, the outer court was for the Gentiles. They weren't allowed in to the actual temple area. They had to stay on the outside. But here... Because of the way the Jews looked at the Gentiles, they're unclean. And by the way, the Jews believe one day when Jesus came, Messiah came, he's going to cleanse all the, get rid of all the Gentiles out of and off of the temple property anyway. So look at the mindset of the Jewish people. Let's just go ahead and set a market up in their area of worship because they're, they're impure anyway. <laughs> See what's going on here? Jesus seeing this begins to drive everybody out. It's interesting that Josephus records that there were over 255,000 lambs slaughtered during Passover in A.D. 66. 200, that's a lot of lambs. Somebody's making money. <laughs> Imagine, because as they're traveling... Most of these people, they're not traveling with their animals. No, you, you, you buy the animal once you get there. So these, these money changers and these people, animal handlers, and it's turning into a big business. And again, as we said, they're on the perimeter, the court of the Gentiles. Basically, what did they do? They turned the place, the temple, into an animal marketplace. It's all about making money now. They're just making money. Look what happens. 16. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. What is that about? You have to, this whole scene is just backwards as far as worship to God. You got people extorting money from people, animals all over the place, money changers making money, people making deals, and then you got people carrying items through the temple. 
It's like the sacredness is gone. <laughs> now, he doesn't say what type of items, but no doubt, perhaps items for sale. It's like a picture of a crazy bazaar. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? This is supposed to be the house of God. What's going on? It'd be like if, if we were sitting in here and there's all kinds of deals going on and people, you know, playing three card molly in the corner and, show, and throwing dice over here. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Other people walking through, man, anybody want to buy an iPhone? Anybody want an iPhone? It's like, what, what are y'all doing? This is a church. That's kind of the atmosphere that's being created here. 17. And he was teaching them and saying to them, now watch what Jesus says in light of what's going on. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer? For all nations. Notice that, for all nations, including the Gentiles. You guys have turned the Gentile courtyard where the Gentiles were allowed, you've turned that into an animal marketplace. Why? Because they look down on the Gentiles. They're unclean people. So what? And here Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, saying what? My house shall be called a house of prayer. So he quotes Isaiah 56, Seven. See, in other words, what happened? The, the temple was not to be a bank and a marketplace. That's what it turned into. It wasn't about worshiping God anymore. And he said, this is supposed to be a place of worship, a place of prayer. So he quotes Isaiah 56, 7. Isaiah 56, 7 says this, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. But see, within this temple, they were far removed from when God established the way of worship in the Old Testament. They were far removed. They were discriminating within the temple. The poor people, the Gentiles, the women, they all had different sections that they were allowed in. And here Jesus comes in and seeing all of this going on, begins to overturn tables and chase people out. This is not what my house of worship is supposed to be like. Now, he was speaking to something far greater that was a, going to happen just a few years later because the whole temple is coming down. The whole system is going to be done away with. But this is just a precursor to what's going to happen. So what does he say? At the end of 17, but you have made it a den of robbers. You've turned my house into a den of robbers. Now, you got to understand, again, that's a quote from Jeremiah 7. They would have known exactly the context of Jeremiah's prophecy. Behold, you trust. It's a little messed up up there. I'm not sure what's going on up there. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, here it is, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it declares the Lord. See, this reference to 
the den of robbers is denouncing the false security that these sacrifices are giving the people. He's like, you're coming in with all of this wheeling and dealing so that you can do sacrifices, but, but your life doesn't match any of this. Your life, just like Jeremiah's prophecy against them in the Old Testament, you're going through the motions, but your heart is far from me. Go back to the psalm we read this morning, right, or this afternoon, right? You're worshiping me. You're giving me the offerings, but your heart is far f- removed from it. There's no change in your life. You're just going through the motions. And it created a sense of false security. It's like when you talk to people in our culture today and you say, hey, do you, um, do you know Christ in the pardon of your sins? Are you a believer? Oh, yeah, I go to church every Sunday. I'm on a, I'm on a deacon board. I, it's like... Well, wait, that could be giving you a sense of false security. Just because you attend worship and you go through the motions, the rituals, that doesn't mean that you're walking in obedience to God. And these people begin to have this sense of a false security that we're okay with God because we're going through the motions. But not only were the Pharisees okay with God, so they thought, because they're going through all the motions, but you see now even in the temple, where the temple is really just being totally abused and they're exploiting the needs of the people. No doubt that some of these people are, they're genuinely coming to celebrate the Passover, but they're exploiting it, turning it into a business, turning it into something that it was never meant to be in the name of God. So Jesus quotes from the prophecy of Jeremiah. And notice what happens after he does this. The chief priests in verse 18 and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. Why? He's messing with their money. (laughs) For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. So Jesus comes in, turns over the tables, and then he quotes from two Old Testament passages where the prophets are denouncing what Israel is doing as far as their way of worship. And he applies that same thing to what's happening right now in the temple. Chief priests and scribes said, that's it. We got to get rid of this guy. We got to destroy him. But they knew Jesus had enough of a hearing, enough of a following. So they feared him. Why? Because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. We can't take him out right now. Too many people are enthralled with what he's saying. But we we know less than a week he's going to be betrayed. See, Jesus is messing with their business and calling them out spiritually. Jesus is pulling the covers off of what they're doing. But they're in the temple. But they're selling things so people can worship God and do the sacrifices. Jesus calls them out. This is not of God. Just like the fig tree that had all the leaves on it, And it should have fruit on it, but there's no fruit on that fig tree. Looks good, but there's no fruit. This all looks good, maybe in the eyesight of man, but it's fruitless. This is not what God requires. So look what happens, verse 19. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree. Now we're back to the fig tree. Withered away to its roots. Wow. With Christ being the one and only sacrifice, 
right? Remember, he's going to die on the cross. And when he died on the cross, that was the end to the temple sacrificial system. It was going to be destroyed, done. Now, again, back in the Old Testament, God had set up the tabernacle. God had set up the high priest sacrificial system. God set that up. But it was a temporary setup pointing to the ultimate Lamb of God. Okay? So the, the, they weren't totally wrong in what they were doing. God set this thing up. And then it went from the tabernacle to Solomon's temple to the great temple but, that Herod built. But here's what happened along the way. With each one ending with Herod's temple, it got more and more corrupt. <laughs> kind of sounds like churches, don't it? <laughs> It sounds like churches, right? Churches were established to do what? Preach the gospel, celebrate the Lord's table, baptize, make disciples. That's a good thing. But then as time goes on, what happens? Corruption, greed. And then you start reading headlines of pastors and deacons embezzling money and immorality and all kinds of things. Same kind of thing happening here with the temple. What God set up to be a pointer to Christ became so corrupt that Jesus said, I'm going to destroy it. He curses the fig tree. Later on, we're going to see he predicts this temple is going to be destroyed as an act of God's judgment on Israel for rejecting the Messiah for turning the worship of God into selfish gain. That's what's going on in this passage. We know when Christ dies on the cross, what happens? The temple veil was torn in half. That veil that separated the priest from the Holy of Holies, that only the priest could go in, right? Once a year, the high priest could go in there, that veil is ripped in half, indicating what? No, Christ paid the one-time sacrifice. We can freely walk in the presence of God. Woo! We need a court on that one. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ is predicting through this curse, the temple's coming down. Not only are the sacrifices no longer about true repentance, it's all about filthy gain now. So as they passed by, verse 20 again, in the morning they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Peter still didn't get what was going on here. <laughs> you know, good old Pete. <laughs> like me. Look at the tree. It, it died. Jesus is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> See, in the Old Testament, again, Israel was called God's fig tree in the Old Testament, right? God's judgment came on Jerusalem in A.D. 70, and that whole massive temple came down. Came down. That whole sacrificial system and again, it was an act of God's judgment for Israel rejecting the Messiah. And Jesus answered them. It's interesting what he said, and we'll unpack this more 
next week as we continue. But notice what he says. Peter, Peter says, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Wow. That sounds like a weird response. But, but the tree, and he says, have faith in God. See, Peter's not tying it to the sacrifice, or rather to the temple. He's not tying it to the temple being destroyed. Here's another way. In other words, have faith in God, Peter, not the work of the temple with its corruption. <laughs> Again, the fig tree representing the destruction, right? Have faith in God and what God is about to do through me. Not that temple, not that organized religion. Because that is going to be condemned, just like this fig tree. Now, it's interesting because in preceding verses, and we'll look at this next week, he's going to tie that faith to prayer. <laughs> Have faith in God, and then he's going to couple it with prayer. And that whole passage where he talks about if you say to this mountain, be removed, and you believe it'll happen, that's a very interesting passage. We'll unpack that next week. But the point here is, Jesus Christ is calling out Judaism, the temple sacrificial system. Something that God set up way back with the tabernacle had become so corrupt. It was only temporary anyway, pointing to Christ, but it became so corrupt. Just as he cursed the fig tree, he curses this temple which was going to be destroyed a few years later. Wow. Let's think about a couple of things. See, just as the temple gave a sense of false security, churches can give that same kind of sense to people today, right? By, by, by going to church, by going to the temple, by doing my sacrifice, I can have a sense of false security that I'm okay. The issue with Jesus was what? The hypocrisy. The fig tree looks like it has figs on it because it has the foliage all over it. The leaves are in full, there they are, nice and lush. But then you walk up and there's no fruit. That's how the Sadducees and the Pharisees were and the scribes. They look religious, they look the part, they have the robe on. They're in the temple. They're at their stations. They're, 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 they're preparing stuff for sacrifices for the priest to do what he does. It looks like you would think, well, look, there's a people of God. But Jesus calls them out. They're hypocrites. They look like the fig tree, but they have no fruit. And, you know, we got to be honest with ourselves. Do, do we have a sense of false spiritual security because we come to church? Like anybody can come to church, right? It's, it's, it's again, it's God says, what? Obedience is better than sacrifice. You can make all the sacrifices in the world, but, but how are you living your life ultimately? That's what God is looking at. That's what Jesus is looking at. The fig tree can look so wonderful, but if there's no fruit, what's the point? I can say all the right things, but if I'm not living it, what's the point? Right? God looks at the heart of man, not at our words. Remember Jesus Christ saying to a group of people, stop calling me Lord. Stop. I'm not impressed with that. You don't do anything I say. 
Stop calling me Lord. This is what's going on here during this time where they thought they were so right. Rituals all over the place. Pharisees washing of the hands, washing the cups, washing the plates, all of this outward stuff. Remember? And Jesus said what to them? You are whitewashed tombstones. Wow. You are two times more the sons of hell than the ones you're trying to convert. Can you imagine saying that to a pastor today? That's what was going on. And all of your pomp and circumstance with all the rituals in the temple, I'm taking it all down. Churches and religion can create a sense of spirituality that is not rooted in Christ and your life honestly changing. So can you see where your life is truly changing in line with who Christ is? At the end of the day, if you know Christ in a pardoning of your sins, there ought to be a change happening in the way we live. Why? Because God said, that's what I'm doing in you. I will conform you to the image of my son. I will do that. Right? Now, here's the difference. Hannah mentioned legalism earlier. This is not about legalism. This is not about following a bunch of rules so I'm right in God's eyes. This is about because Jesus Christ was ransomed on the cross, I want to follow him. We can't get that mixed up. It will be like me saying, I'm so sick and tired of all these rules of marriage. I'm just sick and tired. I, I, just, I just really want to go out and date some other women. But you're not supposed to because there's a rule that I'm married, so I can't do that. Rules are so restrictive. That, that's how some people look at Christianity. That's how you look at Christianity. It, it, it's not about rules. It's about the relationship. I love my wife. So the question becomes this. So why would you want to date other women if you love your wife? It's not a rule that's restrictive. As a matter of fact, being a married man, I have so much freedom because I know the relationship that I'm in. You see the difference? These people were doing all kinds of rituals trying to win God's approval. And you know what? There was no real change in their life because they were never transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So they could do all the outward stuff religiously, but inside they were dead. They were spiritually dead. Can you see where your life is truly changing? If you're a true believer, you ought to be able to look at your life and say, I see where God's changing my thought life. He's changing what I do. Because that's what God's going to do if you're in relationship with him. You're going to become more like him. Don't base your spiritual change on how many times you show up to church. Now, that's part of it. We ought to gather, right? Hebrews says, don't forget, uh, forsake the gathering of yourself. Certainly, that's part of it. But that, that's not the whole enchilada. Because you can come to church, you can come to outreaches, you can go to missions trips, you can go all over the place and yet be spiritually dead. Rubber meets the road when you look at how you're living your life. I can say I love Monique, I can say she's my wife, but the rubber meets the road, do I treat her as if she is my wife? And then another thought, God desires obedience to his word, his ways, not rituals. <laughs> not rituals. 
It's so easy to fall into this trap of feeling that I'm okay because of the good things that I do. First of all, again, as we get ready to wrap up here, you, you, your good works do nothing for your salvation. <laughs> so just get that out of your head. <laughs> There's nothing you can do that's going to measure up where God's like, you know what? You've actually met the quota of good works. I now call you my child. No, that'll never happen. A lot of people live that way. A lot of people live that way. So sometimes when I ask people, what do you believe about the gospel? They start throwing out all the good stuff that they've done. And I was like, okay, that's, that's you though. But what do you think about the gospel? And they mistake their good works for the gospel. The Bible is very clear. All of our good works to God are filthy rags. They don't count for anything. It's what Christ has done. Period. It's what Christ has done. Now, if I understand that, and, I, and if I understand that this veil that separated the Holy of Holies and only the high priest could be there to offer a sacrifice, which is a beautiful picture of what Christ did. Christ comes. He becomes a sacrifice. The veil was torn in half from the top to the bottom. If I understand that the blood of Christ has given me access to a relationship with the Holy God. If I really get that, I'm forever his. Then what kind of life should it invoke me to be living? Think about it. Not to earn his righteousness, but because I have his righteousness. See, there's the difference. So people, oh, well, you're a Christian, so you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. And again, they're thinking in the wrong way. No difference in saying, oh, so you're married, so you don't sleep around and you don't. Like, how foolish would that be? Of course you don't. You're a married man. So many people don't understand the gospel. It's God's act of grace through what Christ did, period. But if I really understand that grace, that I can never lose it, I can never lose my salvation because of what Christ did, I can never fail God after coming to know Christ. I can never fail him to the point where he says, you know what? I thought you were going to be a better Christian. Nah, you're out. <laughs> like, no, that never happens. You are forever his. If your trust is in what he did on the cross for you, you're forever his. Oh, my goodness. You talk about the burden that takes off of you. Not like these Pharisees putting all this burden on you. You got to keep all these rules. Got to keep all these rules. No, I don't. Christ paid it all. It ought to speak to now how I live my life, my desires. I want to I please you, God, because of what you did in Christ, through Christ. But I'm not doing it because I'm trying to earn God's forgiveness. I have his forgiveness. God desires obedience to his word, not rituals. Jesus came and he ultimately is going to destroy the religious sacrificial system because none of that made them right before God. It, never, it was never intended to make them right before God. It was pointing to the ultimate one, Christ. Even when they had it set up in the Old Testament, it was never intended by the blood of bulls and goats 
for you to be right with God. It was all pointing to Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats does not forgive sins. <laughs> it was a picture. It was an object lesson pointing to the one who would come. But until that Messiah came, yes, Jehovah said, sacrifice an animal. Temporary until Christ came, who paid the final price. If you know Christ, folks, you have to honestly look at, all right, now am I living for him? Am I walking in obedience? Am I honestly trying to live my life in a way that is pleasing to him? And again, please don't get it wrong, not to earn his salvation because of salvation through Christ alone. Amen? God, I pray for your grace in all of our lives. Father, we don't want to live lives of hypocrisy. We don't want to claim that we know you and then our life looks nothing like the life of Christ. But then, God, we don't want to make the mistake that if we try to live a good life that you'll accept us because that's the wrong way to think, too. But, Father, just help us to understand it's only through the blood of Christ, his death and resurrection, that our righteousness is secured with you. It's because of what Christ has done. May we trust in that and in that alone. And then, Father, may that invoke in us a love for you, to want to live for you. Proclaim Christ. Make disciples. Not because we're trying to keep our salvation or earn it, because of what Christ has already done for us. So, God, clear up our thinking wherever we may be off. Align our thinking with your word. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the AFC Podcast. I hope and pray today's word has challenged you to align your thinking with God's word. If you would like to come visit us for one of our services, we would love to have you. We are located at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We are in what is called the Daybreak Room, which is housed in the Dubs Community Center. 457 West Allen Street, Allentown, PA. Our services start at 1 p.m. So if you're looking for a church that sticks to the Word of God, come on out and join us. We'd love to see you. Till next time, God bless.